0: Father, I ask now that this very, at least in my weak estimation, complicated text would become clear. And through the clarity of the text, as Jesus lays it out and Matthew lays it out, Christ would become clear and and big and glorious and amazing, and that he would win our affections and that the boom factor would happen wherever we need it. pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen. John Dewey. Have you ever heard of him? John Dewey was the um, American educational force or uh, reformer in the uh, beginning part of the 20th century and in uh, 1952 he died and he said we never think UNTIL WE HAVE BEEN CONFRONTED WITH A PROBLEM. THAT MAY BE AN OVERSTATEMENT, BUT NOT BY MUCH. BECAUSE THINKING IS HARD WORK. VERY FEW PEOPLE DO IT. MOST PEOPLE ARE PASSIVE. THEY JUST RESPOND TO WHATEVER THEY'RE WATCHING, CONVERSATIONS. Thinking is hard. You've got to be alone to do it, pretty much. You have a piece of paper and a pen. And you, you think. Especially thinking that leads to truth and worship and obedience. That's even the hardest kind, because the devil doesn't want you to do it. Now, the Bible encourages us to think. Paul to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.7, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Or to the Corinthians, don't be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. Over the last 40, no, yeah, 43 years or so, uh, people have given me a lot of T-shirts. I get T-shirts everywhere I go. I just walked away from a pile of T-shirts in Indianapolis a few days ago. I have have enough T-shirts. I give them to Goodwill. I hope people that give them to me don't look at Goodwill. (laughs) My favorite T-shirt it's it's uh, the spring of 1980 and i'm winding down my six years of teaching at bethel college in order to be pastor here in 1980 and my greek class who came over and ate all the chili my wife could possibly make until we ran out and she threw everything in the refrigerator into a pot gave me a t-shirt And on the front, it said, J.E., which stands for Jonathan Edwards, well begun. And on the back, it said, asking questions is the key to understanding. And I thought, okay, I have not served six years here in vain. They are getting it. Now the reason John Dewey's statement, you don't think till you have a problem, and the t-shirt, asking questions, is the key to understanding go together, is because asking questions is a way to make a problem for yourself. A question is a problem. You see something in the text, you don't get it. You ask the text, what do you mean? God, what are you saying? Matthew, what are you doing? That's a problem or a question. And there is the beginning of thinking. And without those questions, without those problems, we just right on through. So thinking happens through asking questions because questions create problems and problems create thinking. Thinking yields understanding, and understanding God yields obedience and worship. I really believe in thinking. Be babes in evil, but in thinking be mature. Now, one of the reasons all that is relevant for the text that we'll put on the screen in just a minute is that Jesus asked three hundred and five questions or three hundred and seven some count i checked this out online i went just google it, just google it you know how many questions did jesus ask in the gospels and you'll you'll see the list i just looked at the list to make sure they weren't making this up now in my bible this esv bible which is about 1100 pages The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, take 101 pages. Do the math. That's roughly three pages, three questions per page. Every page, three questions. (laughs) Now, I am sure there are dozens of good reasons that he did that that I don't know and you don't know. God. But I think one of the reasons is probably he wanted people to think. I mean, every time I read the Gospels, I'm puzzled by something. I mean, Jesus was puzzling. He specialized in puzzling things. Why? He didn't like passive listening. He wanted to create questions that dug into his soul and got to know him and forced their way in to think, and stormed his mind. So let's go to the text that I've been assigned, Matthew twenty-two forty-one 41 to 46. We can, I hope put it on the screen. This is the text that I prayed it was complicated to me and uh, you'll see why. I'll read it. This text has in it four questions. None of them is answered. You should ask, why? (laughs) Four questions, no answers. End of discussion. They never ask another question. Period, that's it. Public discussion is over. Four questions, no answers. Discussion over. Let's go die. Which, Which is exactly what happened. That's where he was going. You knew exactly what he was doing. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, question number one, what do you think about the Christ? Question number two, more specifically, whose son is he? They said to him, David's son, I was wrong. They do get one answer, and it's right. 43, he said to them, third question, how therefore does David in the spirit, now i that's my translation. If you look at the ESV, they translate, how is it then that? I'll come back and explain why. I just tweak that translation a little bit. How therefore does David in the spirit call him Lord saying and I quote Psalm 110 The Lord all caps Yahweh said to my Lord not all caps Adonai my Lord sit in my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet If then David calls him Lord question number 4 How is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask any more questions. Now the context is that in verses 29 to 33, the Sadducees had asked about the resurrection and he he silenced them with his comments about the resurrection. The Pharisees, in verse 35, ask about the great commandment. He answered the question about the great commandment. And now he takes over, and he becomes the question asker. And uh, when he finishes, there is no answer, and, and they don't ask any more questions. So let's take these four questions and build this message around those four questions and see how they are to be answered. What is Jesus getting at? What what is he doing? He knows they're not gonna be able to answer the way he's going. He's taking them somewhere they do not want to go. So let's try to follow his Jesus thinking in particular. Question number one, verse 42. What do you think about the Christ? Now, the, the Christ, you know, means Messiah. Christos, anointed Messiah. That's the long expected King of Israel who would fulfill the promises made, especially to David in Second Samuel, 1 Samuel uh, uh, 7, uh, bring Israel into her destiny, the God chosen ruling King over the people and over the world. That's Messiah. In chapter 16, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you are the Christ. Okay, clear. You're the Messiah. To which Jesus responded, blessed are you. Simon Bar-Jonah, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. My Father who is in heaven, revealed that to you. You're right, I am the Messiah. So this is an explosive question that Jesus is asking, what do you think about the Christ, the Messiah? And it's, it's, it's got two levels, right? One of them is not explosive or controversial, and the other one is. Right? At one level, it's just a biblical theological question that the Pharisees and Jesus agree on. Who's the Messiah? What do you think about the the Messiah? But at the other level, namely, you think it's me? That's explosive, that'll get him killed. So you got a double level going on here. They're gonna say at the trial, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us, are you the Christ, the Son of of God? To which Jesus is going to respond at the trial. I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. Now, that's a quote from Psalm 110, seated at the right hand of God which is true of the Messiah, according to Psalm 110, what he just referred to. You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power coming on the clouds of heaven. In other words, I will be seen as David's Lord very soon or eventually. That's question number one. Question number two. So after asking the first question, uh, not waiting for an answer, because he's taking them somewhere. He's not letting them set the agenda here. He's taking them somewhere. So first he says, "What what do you think about the Christ? And now comes question number two. Whose son is he? Now every Jew knew the answer to that question. There's more than one right answer, but Every Jew knew the right answer to that question. It is 2 Samuel, not 1 Samuel, from 2 Samuel 7, which goes like this. When your days, so this is God or through Nathan, the prophet to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who will come from your body and I will establish this kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So Messiah would be the son of David and that's what the ordinary folks believed. Jesus believed it, Pharisees believed it. A few, uh, verses earlier when he had come into Jerusalem, it says, when he entered Jerusalem, they cried out, Hosanna to the son of David, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Jewish leaders, knowing the implication of that for the messianic role of Jesus said, don't you hear what they're saying? You've got to stop this. Don't you hear what they're saying? To which Jesus responded, out of the mouth of infants, God has ordained praise. So when Jesus in our text says, whose son is he? Again, we have two levels, one controversial, one not controversial, Whose son is he? At the first level of non-controversy, the answer is whose son is he? He's David's son. Clear and simple. At the other level is, is that me? So the Pharisees answer the second question, clear and simple, the son of David. That's right, that's the right answer. They got that one right. Now we turn to question number three. Pharisees will not answer this question And it will be over when Jesus finishes question number four. That's the way these questions are working. These questions, and this is true numerous times in Jesus' ministry, questions are taking people somewhere. He's just steering, steering the conversation where he wants it to go with questions, forcing people into the conversation the way he wants them in. Question number three. Start at verse 43. He said to them, how therefore, the therefore means in view of your correct answer that you just gave, he's David's son, how therefore, in view of your correct answer, does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord, Yahweh, said to my Lord, Adoni." sit at my right hand until I make or put your enemies under your feet." Now, this question puzzled me for years. I was so perplexed by this question. Now, before I explain to you why I was perplexed by this question, and and I think I've solved my perplexity. I'm going to try it out on you. It's the first time I've preached on this text forever I think but anyway with this interpretation before I do that I'm going to uh, clarify the details in this text there's five of them just quick clarification of details in the question number one verse 44 is a quote from Psalm 110 all right well you can just see that in your footnote it's a quote from the first verse of Psalm 110 the most commonly quoted chapter of the Old Testament in the New Testament. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's Psalm 110 verse one. Clarification number two, the phrase in the spirit, David in the spirit calls him Lord, means Jesus regarded the Psalms as inspired by God, the Holy Spirit. These little, these little things are so amazing. If, if Jesus has won your trust, you're obliged to believe the Old Testament. <laughs> That's the way it works, because Jesus believed the Old Testament. David was speaking, Psalm 110, in the Spirit, by the Spirit, led in and by the Spirit. This is not a human opinion going on here, this is God's opinion, which is right. Clarification number three. The first reference to Lord, with all caps, doesn't show up in the New Testament, only in the Old Testament, when the Hebrew Yahweh is being translated with all caps, Lord, and other names of God don't get all caps. So you know you're dealing with Yahweh The name explained in Exodus 3.14, which I just preached on down in Indianapolis. Oh, what a great text. So that's Yahweh in Psalm 110, verse one. Yahweh says to my Adonai, Adoni, my. The E means my, my Lord. And, And that word Adonai is used 300 times in the Old Testament for human lords. It doesn't have any necessary divine connotation at all. It can, it often refers to God. But 300 times it refers to people. So, Yahweh said to my Lord, and the word my, you got this now, this so is why it's complicated, like I can't even follow these prepos- prepositions. But, you gotta try, you gotta think, you gotta write it down. I had to draw, I had to draw circles all over my little piece of paper and try to work this out. I can't think without a piece of paper and a pencil or now a manuscript. The, the word my refers to David, writing the song. The Lord, Yahweh, said to my, David, Lord, the Messiah, sit at my right hand. Messiah called Adonai, might be God, might not be God. The word doesn't decide that in the text. Fourth clarification. Um, I think I just stirred four into five because four is clarifying Adonai, although I'm adding here now, sit at my right hand means he's ruling over his enemies. So whoever this is, my Lord, he's now taking his seat at God's right hand and he's ruling his enemies. So he's a a king, he's a king-like figure at the right hand of God, that's pretty high. And so far the Pharisees are just fine, I think. They're just fine. Fifth observation or clarification since david's writing this david is calling the messiah as he writes the psalm david is calling the messiah his lord okay so david the king of israel is calling the coming messiah his lord now what has puzzled me about that question is why it would be considered controversial. Which is, it seems like Jesus is trying to stump them. Like he's trying to bring a crisis here. And I'm not seeing it, what's the crisis? What's the issue? Because you haven't said anything controversial yet. You're just quoting the Psalm. Pharisees agree with this. You agree with this. Everybody agrees with this. What's what's controversial here? All the Jews of Jesus' day, Orthodox Jews today, believe that the Messiah would be greater than David. This is not controversial. Right? Messiah's going to rule the world. He's going to defeat the Romans. He's, he's going to be exalted in a, an extraordinary height of greatness. He's going to be David's Lord, and that's not controversial. That's what puzzled me. Like, Jesus, it, it, it just seems like you're trying to create a crisis here and, and uh, get at something, and, and I'm not getting how you're doing it. I'm just confused. The way I used to read it simply didn't do what I think Jesus is trying to do, and I think I gave it a wrong twist, and I think I was misled by the translation, which happens. Sorry about that. Um, So I'm going to suggest a different emphasis than what I heard for years and years in this in this text. I think i a misunderstanding on my part, and you probably could get it right even without doing my little alteration in the translation, but here's, here's the change I'm, I'm making from the ESV, and in fact most modern versions. Um, I think verse 43 uh, goes like this, how therefore does david in the spirit called him lord how does he call him lord whereas the esv translated how is it then that he calls him lord maybe maybe that doesn't make any difference to you it made a huge difference to me how does David call him Lord? In what way does he call him Lord? How do you get to calling him Lord? It's a how question, it's a how question. It's a, I think in English idiomatic language, how is it then turns it into a why question. I hear why. When you say, how is it then that? I hear, why is it that? That's what I hear. Maybe I'm wrong, but in my English, that's what I hear with how is it that sounds like, why did he call him Lord? And that threw me off. I I don't think it's a why question. I think it's a how question. I I don't think the why question would have been controversial at all. They call him Lord because the text says he's Lord. (laughs) He's Lord. He's great. The Messiah is great. He's the Lord of David. What's the controversy? But if you ask, how does he call him Lord? You're you're opening the door. I think Jesus is beckoning us in to Psalm 110, all the way in to Psalm 110. Let's go into Psalm 110 and watch how, watch how David through these verses calls him Lord. How does he do that? And in the way he calls him Lord, We might find out what's so controversial and explosive here. So why don't we put up Psalm 110. We got Psalm 110? There we go. Now, this would take a whole sermon to do it justice, but I'm going to do the best I can in the few minutes we have. Left So you got got verse 1 there, and verse 4 and 5. I'll, I'll try to just show you what I see. I commend it to you. This is, what, this is a school, right? We, we commend our, 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 what we see, and we expect the students to test what we see. If you don't see it, you don't see it. You can't believe it if you don't see it. You don't believe it because I say it. You believe it because you see it. Okay, that's what we're doing right now. So Yahweh says to my Lord, this is verse 1, Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So the Messiah is sitting at the exalted place in heaven at Yahweh's right hand. That's that's pretty exalted. It, It might have divine implications just from that, right? It might. Verse four, Yahweh speaks again. So Yahweh spoken in verse one. Yahweh speaks now again about the Messiah. Yahweh has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's big. That's big. Forever's big. Like that's, to me, shocking. Okay, this this is no ordinary priest. And it's the same you as sitting on the throne here. This king is a priest. This Melchizedek-like priest is the Messiah. It's the same same person. Yahweh has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Yahweh calls Messiah a priest forever. Now we're at a new, a clearly new level of Lordship. If Messiah is David's Lord in verse one, and he's a priest forever, that Lordship just got a boost. Way, way up from where the Pharisees might think it it is now here's here's what lots of scholars are going to disagree with me on to so lay it out verse five what's the relationship between verse five and verse four verse five says the lord where is it i lose my place here you are a priest forever At the end of verse 4, the Lord is at your right hand. Um, The Messiah is at the right hand. This is so complicated, I'm having a hard time saying it. Verse 5, the Lord is at your right hand. So who's the you? That's my question who's the your of verse 5 you see it at the bottom there the lord is at your right hand and that lord there is adonai it's not yahweh but it is yahweh i think and the reason i think it is is because i th- i just cannot bring myself in spite of what so many commentaries say i cannot bring myself to make the your In that first line of verse 5 be anything different than the you two lines earlier you see that you are a priest forever after the order of melchizedek the lord is at your right hand i just cannot do it i mean many commentators say you just switch everything switches right there that's why there's a line break in your esv there's a line break you can give it a big space I think the you're in verse five is the you in verse four. And the you in verse four is the Lord of verse one. And he's a king in verse one, and he is a priest in verse four, and he's a priest forever, and the Lord is at his right hand. I think Yahweh has switched places between verse 1 and verse 5. So the Messiah is at Yahweh's right hand in verse 1, and uh, Yahweh is at your priest's right hand in verse 5. That's pretty radical. That's crazy. That's shocking. So I'm suggesting Jesus, when he said, how, how is he his Lord? He said, come on, come on in to, to Psalm 110 with me and let's, let's really meditate on how David was thinking about the Lordship of the Messiah. So, if David calls the Messiah his God, we have a real problem. And the problem is in question number four. Okay, you with me at the bottom there? Uh, let's go back to my uh, text from Matthew 22, there we go. So we're now, now we're in verse 45 at the bottom there. If then David calls him Lord, how is he a son? And I'm interpreting Lord now to mean priest forever, Messiah at the right hand, Yahweh at the right hand of the Messiah, a claim for Messiah to be very God of very God. And the problem is, well, if he's God, how is he David's son? That's a good question. Theologically, that is a no brainer to ask. If you're God, hire you, man. No answer. In fact, his public debating career is over. Now, Matthew, who expects us to be reading this gospel through, and learning how to interpret things as we go along that's that's the way i read my gospels i don't you know take a piece out and forget chapter 16 i don't take a piece out and forget chapter 2 emmanuel you don't read the gospels that way what's true at the beginning is true at the end what's true at the end is true at the beginning everything relates to everything when you, when you write a, a gospel so Matthew has no doubt in his mind what the answer is to question number four: How is he his son? His answer is: He was conceived of a virgin. That's how. And Joseph adopted him into the Davidic line. So here's Matthew 1:18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, he was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. That's how he's David's son. Together with, Joseph of the royal line becomes the father of this young David. Jesus. Matthew 1.20, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And taking Mary, his wife, he takes Jesus as his son. And Matthew clarifies the miracle of divine human reality for the Messiah, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So now back to question number four. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? If David calls him God, how is he man? The answer is, his human birth by a virgin through the Holy Spirit, and his legal adoption into David's line by Joseph, son of David. So we're done now with this remaining question. Jesus and Matthew uh, are not leaving you right now in this room with the question, well, who is he? That's over. They're not not leaving you with that question. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God and man. Jesus is the son of David. He's the Lord of David. He's the God of David. And he says, follow me. Follow me on this Saturday afternoon. Follow me. Devote yourself to me for the rest of your life, young people, old people. Treasure me above all things. Your sins will be forgiven. You will have the fullest meaning in this life and you will live forever in the joy of God's presence. So follow me. So the question we're left with is not, who is he? But rather, will we have him as our greatest treasure? Will we? That's the question. And my prayer for you a few hours ago, and my prayer for you right now is that you will say, yes, (laughs) yes, I will have him as my greatest treasure. So, Father, that is our prayer, that every one of us, wouldn't that be glorious? A HUNDRED YEARS FROM NOW, EVERYBODY IN THIS ROOM WAS TOGETHER IN THE PRESENCE OF JESUS. WE ALL REMEMBERED THIS DAY, AND SOME, PERHAPS, FEW, A HANDFUL, WOULD SAY, THAT WAS THE DAY I JOINED THIS FELLOWSHIP OF EVERLASTING PEOPLE. SO COME AND DO THAT WORK, I PRAY. GLORIFY, FATHER, YOUR SON, Jesus, David's son, your son, very God, a very God, very man, a very man to pray In Jesus' name.